The following content has been rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squonk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. Welcome on in, guys, to another episode of The Squonk and the Hag. With me, as always, is Crackle. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Accurate. Actually, while you say that... The countdown is getting closer, Cracko. Wait, the countdown for what? May 12th, I'm seeing T-Swift in concert. Hey, wait a minute. Why, hey. why am I excited? I wasn't invited. Dude, it was hard enough for me to get two tickets for... Well, I got two tickets and Chris is begrudgingly going... Well, actually, I shouldn't say begrudgingly. I, uh... Fair. So, I have really bad social anxiety, especially with crowds... So he's going to be mm-hmm. basically my emotional support beard for the night. I have a question for you. Hmm? If you don't do well in crowds, if you had someone like me there who is just off the wall insane, would would that like balance it out? You're more worried about where I'm going and getting thrown out or focused on the crowd anxiety? It kind of shifts the focus. It would not shift the focus. I would just be more anxious about more things. Fair. Yeah. Fair. But no, I have Chris. He's going to go with me. I had my party dress and everything ready. It's a shame. Yeah. was. Does it match your Peppa Pig PPO6 flip and learn phone? Uh, of course. Anyway, murder, crime. So, yes, this week we are doing a motel. So it's going to be full of murder. This one also has some conspiracy in it. And it was researched by our lovely and wonderful Allie. It's going to be interesting. All, all I can already tell by the name. Yes. So this week we are talking about the Icebox Murders. It is about Fred and Edwina Rogers. So. Yay. It's Traumatized Cracker Week. Oh, this story is messed up. I'm just going to tell you that. There's a reason it was on the list. I feel like there's a pattern that, like, most of the stories we cover are messed up. I don't know what you're talking about. No. No. no yeah. Hello. No. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. It's fine. So, the 1960s were a turbulent decade in American history. Not that we had a lot of quiet decades, but... In the 60s, we had the Civil Rights Movement, the Vietnam War, the Space Race, and the Cold War all at play in a single decade. So the atmosphere was, like, super tense. In particular, 1965 had its fair share of momentous events. In February, Malcolm X was assassinated. Ed White became the first American to complete a spacewalk. The Charlie Brown Christmas special debuted on CBS. Hey, at least there's some good news in there. 
Yeah, well, this one's actually kind of fun, too. The Astrodome in Houston, Texas first opened, which was, like, huge back then. But Houston was also in the news that year after two officers served a welfare check to a small bungalow in the Montrose neighborhood, and it was not the type of news the city wanted to make. On the evening of June 23rd, 1965... Police Captain Charles Bollock... No, that's not right. Looks enough. <laughs> it's not. All right. Yeah, it is fine. On the evening of June 23rd, 1965, Police Captain Charles Bullock and his partner L.M. Barta knocked on the door of 1815 Driscoll Street. They had been called out to serve a welfare check on an elderly couple named Fred and Edwina Rogers. Fred, who was 81, was a retired real estate salesman, and Edwina, who was 79, was a sales representative. Something probably like Avon or along those lines. The exact company um, wasn't really out there, but, you know, she was in sales and, you know, probably something, one of those things uh, where, you know, you... You go out and you make commissions off of however much you sell. Probably something that um, is just, you, you know, you, something you would expect from, from a little old lady to be selling. And then, Yeah, a little old lady in the 60s. The couple's nephew, Marvin Martin, which is an interesting name to say the least, <laughs> requested the check after days of him trying to call Edwina with no reply. Early that day, he'd also gone to knock on the door, and there was no answer, so he decided it was time to get help. Officers Bullock and Barta did not get a response to their knocks and decided to walk around the back of the house. They found something odd. The back door had been barricaded with flower pots. Was, did, was, this, was this about Allie's home? <laughs> That's probably why she really wanted to do this story, because flower pots were involved. It's the flower pots, yeah. So after they moved the flower pots, they entered the house through the kitchen door in the back. Uh, Captain Bullock re recalled that something just didn't feel right. And once he stepped inside, that feeling of the, uh, the, that feeling of unease would not go away. The house was eerily quiet and nothing seemed terribly out of order at first however for some reason he was compelled to open the ice box that is a that is a weird instinct to have yeah it is just like i need to open this bridge yeah and years later he still doesn't know why he impulsively opened it but he opened the refrigerator and it was one of the first things he did when he went into the house. Um, perhaps it was the, the pile of food that was left out on the kitchen table or, you know, just kind of, you know how like you some kind of absentmindedly just do things? Mm -hmm. Well, when the icebox was opened, the officers observed what they thought was hog meat on every shelf. It it actually crossed his mind, um, Captain Bullock's mind, that it was a shame 
that the meal would spoil because it seemed like the occupants of the house just disappeared. And, like, they had all of this fresh meat and, you know, it was going to go bad. But as he went to close the door, something caught his eye in the fridge. In the bottom crisper drawer, he realized there was a set of eyes looking blankly up at him. You know how we deal with, like, these situations by joking about them, even though we're, they're not funny at all? Mm-hmm. Man, I hate it when my food looks back at me. Please don't eat people, Cracko. No, no. I have a feeling if I saw eyes looking back at me out of someone's fridge, I would probably fall backwards. I, I, yeah, yeah, and I'm pretty, I... Slam the fridge door shut and just leave. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, police officers don't really have that luxury, you know? So, to their horror, there were two decapitated heads in the bottom drawer. And that's when the realization hit them that the meat was not hog meat, after all. So, investigators were very obviously quickly called out to the scene and the identity of the bodies was confirmed it was fred and edwina that was a plot twist because i'm sitting here looking at the title and the names of the people and i'm just like okay these these, these two are, are doing something nope no nope, it was completely wrong no they were sadly the victims so edwina's body revealed that she had been shot in the head execution style before she was drained of blood and dismembered. Her internal organs were removed. And then somehow <laughs> that wasn't bad enough. Fred's body was in worse shape. He had been bludgeoned to death with a claw hammer and his eyes were gouged out and his genitalia were removed. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Good. I'm, I'm good. I, I would give you, like, a cat, or maybe you can find Mikey to hold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. In the newspaper the next day, it was quoted that on all the shelves and in the freezer compartment were the dismembered bodies cut in unwrapped, washed-off pieces smaller than individual joints. Investigator Henry Ismond was also quoted as saying the dismembering apparently was done by someone with a knowledge of anatomy. The organs that were missing were not in the icebox with the rest of them. Whoever killed and dismembered the couple had flushed them down the toilet. Which is weird. First of all, why? Second of all, how did they find this out? Investigators found some of the organs in the sewer, but they never recovered every part. So I guess they assumed since they found some of the organs that everything was flushed down the toilet. Uh, I'm curious as to what led them to the sewer in the first place. Like what, what indicated that stuff had been flushed and would have been in the sewer? Maybe there was blood in the bathroom? Uh, possibly, yeah. Some organs easily could go down the toilet. They're not that big. Other organs are very large. And mm -hmm. I don't know 
like were, maybe they were cut into pieces possible yeah i don't know because you know the hole in the bottom of your toilet is not that big i mean it's it's big enough for what it needs to do but you know like it's not made for yeah, an it, entire liver it's not meant for organs it's not made for three miles of intestines um, it's not made for a brain yeah as if the story wasn't already tragic enough it was determined that they were killed just days before they were found and they were killed on father's day no yeah so the investigation of the house found that even though it looked like it was staged for a robbery it had been carefully cleaned and I think that's interesting because I know we've covered um, the Blaine Norris case with something similar as well. When there is a robbery, trained investigators can tell the difference between somebody trying to make it look like a robbery and someone actually robbery gone wrong. Yeah, so they they tried to make it look like a robbery, but then carefully cleaned. Oh, criminals are dumb. Even though it had been carefully cleaned... Investigators still found traces of blood that led them to believe the couple had been dismembered in the bathtub. Clearly, they didn't know how to clean the tub. That or it wasn't that carefully cleaned. Yeah. I mean, it says there was a trail of... Oh, no, it said traces of blood. So that one, I guess they got most of it. But then there was also a trail of blood in the house that led them to an attic room. Uh, inside the attic, they found a, a bedroom and a set of shortwave ham radios that were set up. They also found a keyhole saw with blood on it, a knife, and scissors that they are pretty sure were also used in the crime. I was going to say, uh, yes, let me carefully clean this crime scene, make it look like a robbery, and put all the murder weapons in the attic. Yeah, because the claw hammer and gun were also up there. So all of the evidence was there. I mean, I guess it's a good thing criminals are dumb and do stuff like this, because then they can be caught. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It's just very odd, because that's like the exact opposite of what most criminals do when... Uh, yeah, it's just like you went to the effort of cleaning the place and making it look like a robber, but you're just going to throw the bloody murder weapons in the attic room? Mm-hmm. You thought you would have cleaned those and buried them somewhere far away, like you've gotten rid of them some way, separated them from the crime scene. Yeah, or like thrown them in a dumpster three cities away. Or at least clean them. But they weren't. And at this point, investigators, they're like, okay, we found the Rogers. But who did this and why? It was absolutely brutal and horrific. So what caused this? And the investigation quickly came up with a person of interest. The couple had a 43-year-old son named Charles Rogers. Many neighbors were completely caught off guard about this they had no idea that the rogers had a son much less that he lived with them in that attic bedroom how do you how do you just not notice a, a whole other person living next door to you uh, what 
Did he just not leave the attic room? I mean, honestly, there's people in my neighborhood who probably don't know I exist because I never leave the house. Fair. But yeah, I mean, he he I he must have been uh well, I mean, he he was reclusive, but he must have been like super shut in, you know, stays at home, doesn't leave the house. Because yeah, I feel like someone would have noticed him, like, coming and going, like, if he was actually leaving the house. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is the house was actually in his name, and he lived there for years and years. So it wasn't like he was just, you know, staying with them for a month or two. Like, he was yeah. he was there. It was his house. Yeah. But uh, he was, like I said, very reclusive, and his behaviors were perplexing even to his family. So he he was, I guess, a little bit uh, peculiar. I'm concerned. Why is this sounding like me? Lives in the attic, is strange even to his family, stays in the house. No one even knows he's there. Please tell me you didn't murder your family, cut them up and put them in the fridge. No, no. Then, then we're okay. That's too, that's too weird for even Krakow. Good. It, good. You shouldn't do things like that. Exactly. Those are bad things. I know this. I'm glad you know that's a bad thing to do. <laughs> I'm glad we had this discussion so that we both know that, that I know this is a bad thing. Well, you say that you know. And you say you don't do these things. I mean, you're, you're more than welcome to come look in my fridge. <laughs> it's just full of cheese. <laughs> the funny thing is, it actually is. Uh, there's like there's like a bunch of Baby Bell cheeses in there. <laughs> oh, man, I could go for a Baby Bell. Three different kinds. Nice. What we do is, um, I I have these uh, these Tupperware. Well, they're they're like the glass um, storage containers with the the locky lid thing. Yes. And it's like two sections, and I cut up blocks of cheese, and I cut up blocks of like lunch meat, like salami or whatever, and then I have uh, those little fresh stacks of Ritz crackers. Mm -hmm. So it's little DIY. Uh, lunchables. Please reinvent Tupperware and call it Locky Lids. <laughs> Locky Lids. Well, you know what I mean? The ones that have like the little flaps that go around the side. Yeah, and yeah you... I know. It has the yeah. little snap things on it. Yeah. Locky Lids. Yeah. That's like the perfect name for Tupperware. Locky Lids. I'm already sold. <laughs> so, uh, Charles, Charles Rogers was a World War II veteran who had served in the Navy, where he became a licensed pilot. He graduated from the University of Houston with a bachelor's degree in, are you ready? I'm ready. Nuclear physics. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, he had a, he had a degree in nuclear physics, which is not something you hear a lot of people like, yeah, I got a degree. What's your degree in nuclear physics? It's usually like business. Oddly specific. Yeah. And he had actually been a geophysicist and worked for the Shell Oil Company for nine years. Fair enough. So this, this, he was smart. He was like real smart. I mean, he kept to himself like, or don't, isn't that a thing with like most people who are extremely smart, they usually keep to themselves? Or am I completely wrong about that? I know a lot of people who are incredibly intelligent are also not as socially adept. Not that they're not that they're, you know, all 
hermits and shut-ins and stuff like that but usually um you know the the intelligence balances out with um you know a lot of them aren't like social butterflies who go and dazzle crowds it's because they're smart enough to know to avoid the public <laughs> pretty much um but yeah i mean a lot of times it's like you know you get so focused in your work and that kind of stuff yeah aside from that there's not a lot of public knowledge about charles in 1957 he quit his job at shell with zero explanation and after that no one knows what he was up to he just stayed in the house dun 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 yeah, he just lived in the attic hang on i need to drink is it because you're talking to me that you need to drink or you actually need like water <laughs> <laughs> like my throat was dry so I needed to there could have gone either way yeah well actually uh, I've had last night like starting last night I had a sore throat and like I kept drinking water to try to because I was like oh I'm just thirsty or something it was just like a light scratchiness and now mm -hmm. it actually kind of it's a little bit of a a hurdy scratchy hurt well it's it's a it's kind of kind of feels like the cats are using the inside of my throat as a scratching post oh that sounds wonderful yeah it's super fun should do it more often i've got the the itchy sinuses and back of the throat thing because of allergies for like the past two weeks so that's fun same same allergies are real bad this year real bad this year Mm-hmm. allergies yay Anyway, murder. Uh, so Charles was considered peculiar by everyone that knew him. Most of the neighbors had no clue that he lived next door because he would get up and leave the house before dawn and then not come back until after dark. Well, that meant that, well, that there we go. That's why people didn't know he was there. Yeah. So, and like he did this on purpose so people didn't know he existed, I guess. He also avoided his parents as much as possible. That's a little odd. Gets weirder. If he did communicate with them, it was by notes that he slid under the door. Okay, so picture this. You live in this house. You know your son lives in the house. You never see him. And then you just randomly find notes under your bedroom door. It sounds like living with a ghost or something. It really does. It's just like, yeah, there's another person that lives here. We don't see them, but they leave notes. That's just so creepy. It's all fun and games until one of those notes comes out from under your closet door. Uh, no. Uh. It's just the words let me out. So the Rogers housemaid reported that she didn't think Charles had seen his mother face to face in at least four five years even though she commonly took his phone calls for him and a cousin shared that charles charles's charles charles charles's charles's yeah the possessive of charles reclusive behavior was extreme enough that he kept a hot plate in his room to cook his meals so he didn't even go downstairs to the kitchen to eat Basically me. Except that you, like, live in the kitchen. 
Pretty much, yeah. His only hobby seemed to be the shortwave ham radios. Outside of that, no one knew where he worked, if he worked, and where he went to when he left the house. He had ham radios. He was a spy. Maybe. I mean, it would explain why he wanted no one seeing him and knowing where he's at. Fair. Or he was on the run. Or that. Yeah, there's also that. So as the third occupant of the house, police were focused on finding Charles and sent out an APB, which stands for All Points Bulletin, if you did not know, in hopes that he would be found quickly. However, and this may go with that spy theory there, he vanished without a trace. He was just gone. As they say in the Shawshank Redemption, man up and vanished like a fart in the wind. And this is why Mo needs a drink. Oh, God. All right. While there was nothing concrete, all the circumstantial evidence pointed to Charles being the murderer. So he was declared the spus... The, the spus sect. The what? Excuse me? <laughs> I don't know what my mouth just did. Charles was declared, you, sir, are the spus sect. Yes, that is very thuthpithith. Stop! <laughs> okay, so he... Like the dinosaur. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. While there was nothing concrete... <laughs> oh, <laughs> got the giggles, damn it. <clears throat> this is all tonight going. <sighs> While there was nothing concrete, all the circumstantial evidence pointed to Charles being the murderer, so he was declared the suspect in his parents' case. However, he was never located, and the case went completely cold. In 1975, Charles Rogers was declared legally dead. Okay, that's even more horrifying. And to this day, this case remains unsolved. At least officially well, that's officially. Unofficially, people believe they have solved this bizarre case. So, on the record, um, sadly, it is an unsolved case. It is a cold case. It is believed that Charles Rogers is dead. But we're going to go into some unofficial investigation. In 1991, private investigators John Craig and Phil Rogers went public with their investigation into the disappearance of Charles Rogers. They claimed that Charles had been recruited by the CIA in 1956 and continued to work with them until the mid-80s. I knew it. Yeah. He was a cartographer in the Navy, which is a skill that the CIA would value in an agent. According to the report by these investigators, he was currently living in Guatemala. His motive for killing his parents, though? They were getting suspicious. Ah, uh, yes. I I'm not going to be suspicious of my son living in the attic room, who I haven't seen for five years, but still lives here and passes me notes under my door. Yeah, not suspicious at all. I don't know what you're talking about. So, what... Were they getting suspicious of? 
And this is where the story that the PIs put out gets genuinely crazy. Craig and Rogers were adamant that Charles Rogers was part of the plot to assassinate John F. Kennedy. Fair. Charles bore a close resemblance to one of the quote-unquote three tramps that were arrested on assassination day. The PIs wrote a book called Man on the Grassy Knoll and declared that Charles had impersonated Lee Harvey Oswald in Mexico City and was one of the two shooters. All right, then. I was not expecting a rabbit hole with this story. Somehow, we got to one of the greatest conspiracy theories, or, you know, or, you know one of the greatest topics that has conspiracy theories um, in JFK's murder. I mean, te technically, I, I don't know if uh, you had heard about it or not, but supposedly there was... Uh... This is all information that I've heard, and I don't remember names or anything, so I have nothing to tell you on this other than what I remember. So that's very helpful. But... So we're screwed. Basically, yeah. Before one of the CIA agents who was, like, up there in, in the agency around the time of the assassination, supposedly he confessed that they were in on it, but he wouldn't name names. I mean, it... So it does... It, it is crazy. It is very out there. But it's one of those things that mm -hmm. could be possible. You know, it's not some, like, super crazy ninja assassin yeah. from outer space or something like that. It's, you know, a CIA agent who, you know, was potentially part of a plot, etc. So it's like, it's a conspiracy theory with yeah. actual possibilities whereas some conspiracy theories are just like imagination this guy would just he'd like the story he was telling before he died was like he gave this whole elaborate story about how they were all very trusted in the agency so they were all scheduled to meet at this secluded location cell phones weren't allowed and they were going to discuss what they were going to do and then that's how the plot to assassinate uh, the president started um yeah, they they, Did they you just left say like cell all phones? electronics. Like they left nothing, so no one would be able to to put them at that location uh, together. Cracko. Hmm. When do you think cell phones were invented? Again, remember, I said I'm telling you only what I remember. I could have this wrong. You forget how many rabbit holes I go down, so I could have that part completely wrong, and I most likely do, judging by your question. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they didn't have cell phones when JFK was assassinated. Fair enough. You act like I know these things. Huh. Who are who are you talking to again? <sighs> we we just discussed escalator pyramids and you think you think I know this information? Fair. Fair enough. Alright, so Charles went missing for five months after the assassination, and his mother started to get suspicious when he returned. She took all of his phone messages for him. So she, you know, obviously they wouldn't have called up and be like, hey, I'm part of the plot to assassinate the president. Can I talk to your son? But, you know, she she would get all the messages. She had, you know, names and she would probably getting suspicious because I'm sure there were some weird phone calls, possibly at weird times. 
Hello, ma'am. Uh, this is Jeffrey. Can you please tell your son that the chair is against the green wall in in the in the blue room? Thank you. It's against the green wall in the blue room. What? It's code you wouldn't understand. Just pass the message along. All right. Well, Craig and Rogers believe that Edwina confronted her son about her suspicions, and that is when the murders happened. I mean, mayhaps. I mean, it does, while I I don't know how much actual evidence they had to develop this theory, um, it could, it does sound plausible. And at the time, the police were open to listening to the PIs and hoped that the publicity around this would maybe drum up some leads, get some information. It did not. And as others pointed out later, there was no proper evidence provided to support these claims. So it was primarily based on speculation. And while uh, logically could be plausible without any evidence, it's just a wild story. But it is an interesting one that is possibly somewhat accurate. Yeah, like it could be. And it would be cool if we could find some evidence one way or another. It's it's not like as if you were to say he was abducted by aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, if you could somehow get a hold of classified documents or, you know, something like that, maybe you could find out if something was true or not. But are you suggesting we pull a national treasure? No. You do whatever you want to do, Krakow, but I am not taking a part of it. I'll tell them you planned the whole thing. So the case... That's if I get caught. If you get caught. With your little toddler legs. When I get caught. Yeah, there you go. So the case went cold again until 1997, when Hugh and Martha Garnier began an investigation of their own. Both of them are forensic accountants. And according to Hugh, you can always follow the money. The couple rejected the claims made by Craig and Rogers. While they found that he was connected to some CIA contract workers, it was unlikely he actually joined the CIA. I mean, you don't really have to be a member to work with them. I'm sure they could just be like, hey, I'm going to pay you some money. Go do this thing for me. So Hugh and Martha published the results of their research in a novel called The Icebox Murders in 2003. Even though it was classified as a novel, they assert that it is based on facts they can back up after nearly 5,000 hours of research and over 100 interviews. In 2016, they appeared on an episode of the podcast Criminal where they went into detail about their research process and what they discovered about the Rogers family. By all accounts, Fred and Edwina hated each other, and they were constantly fighting. Life in that situation, in that household, was not easy for Charles growing up, where he was exposed to alcoholism, and he was both emotionally and physically abused. Charles was a really small kid for his age, and he had also been bullied outside of the house, and this is what led to his reclusive nature. 
Even though Charles is typically characterized as a mysterious shut-in, the Gardeniers found that he had a long-time girlfriend and made regular trip to the Sierra Madres in Mexico where he would look for gold and silver. He was a highly valued geophysicist and he was doing freelance work after he quit his job at Shell. Everything was going well for Charles in his professional and romantic life. It was his home life that was pushing him over the edge. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's Their research... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I feel like if you are not in a happy home, you're not going to be happy. Like, that, you know... It's kind of like the basis for everything. Yeah, and then you're talking about the abuse and the bullying... Yeah. Brings back memories of other yeah. serial killers we've talked about. Yes. Yes. The Garnier's research discovered that Fred, the father, had been a bookie on the side and defrauded a lot of people over the years. Edwina claimed that her and Fred owned the house, not Charles, even though it was legally in his name and then took out a lien and multiple loans on the house. She pocketed all of that money. And then Charles was swimming in debt due to all of this financial fraud. And uh, Allie called it financial abuse, which it really was. You know, they took advantage of him. Yeah. So he had been defrauded multiple times by them, all on top of the alleged uh, emotional and physical abuse that he endured from them. So it's believed that Charles planned out the murders and his escape carefully. He made sure that his backup plan had a backup plan and another backup plan. While we will never know for sure, it's speculated that Charles called his mother up to his room where he shot her and then grabbed the claw hammer before going down, pulling his father from bed and bludgeoning him. He would spend the next few days cleaning the house and staging it to look like a robbery. And clearly he didn't clean it good enough. I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but this was his first murder. It's not like he was a seasoned killer. Right, yeah. Uh, where, you know, so he was, if you think about the nerves, the fear, the, the emotion could have led him to be sloppy in the cleanup. Yeah, but if, if this part is true and he did spend three days cleaning the house, you'd think he would have been a little more attentive to, like, the you know, the fact that there's bloody tools in his room. Fair. But Fair. I feel like you got plenty of time if you got three days to clean the house and stage, a, stage it to look like a robbery. I feel like that's true. Plenty of time to make sure you didn't miss anything. Also... One one other thing, going back a little bit, um, why why does it sound like some sort of like obscure band name when you said Bookie on the side? <laughs> why does that sound like some some obscure band name? I'd see them. Yeah, I'd go to that concert. Yes, we're going to see the the new uh, this new blues band that you probably haven't heard of before, Bookie on the side. All right, so. Hugh and Martha found some documents that led them to believe that Charles used his connections in the oil and mining industries to get out of the country and escape to Mexico. In 1968, they found where the police had released previously withheld information. The day after the bodies were discovered, 
A man resembling Charles entered an office and asked for an overseas welding job. The man claimed to be Anthony Pitts. However, the gardeners could make connections that the police didn't make themselves. Charles's girlfriend worked at that office, and she likely gave him the keys to the getaway car that he drove to Mexico. They also found out that Anthony Pitts was a real person who probably helped Charles with his escape as well. The trail unfortunately gets murky from here, though. It would appear that Charles started working again as a geophysicist in Mexico and Honduras for a Texas company. They likely knew who he was, but he was very good at his job, which was making them a lot of money, so he was never reported. The Garniers concluded their investigation when they tracked down the widow of one of those mining agents who shared that Charles had been killed in Honduras during a wage dispute with the miners. They said he had been pickaxed to death and thrown in the river, and when they finally found his body, it was unrecognizable, and the mining agent said he didn't know who he was. And... Charles Rogers has been declared dead since 1975. I, I don't... Pickaxe to death is not something I wanted to hear. That puts a lovely image in your head. I'm sorry. Hey, that sounds wonderful. Although, speaking of ba band names, that sounds like a metal band. Pickaxe to death. We're just going to go through crime cases and pick out words. and just going to make a band name with that. Okay. Like like even even the street they lived on. You want to? I got two tickets to go see Driscoll Street. They sound like a really cool indie band, though. Like I bet Driscoll Street has like a really great sound. Why do why 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 are there a lot of band names in here? So many band names. So officially, as I said, this case is still unsolved. Charles has been the only suspect for all of these years, and it's unknown if anyone else was even considered. Chances are, though, that this case will never officially be solved. Uh, it has gone very, very cold. The Garniers feel that they solved it, but even they can't publish their book as nonfiction. It's not, it does not qualify for the level of proof needed to say that they solved the case. So maybe they did. Yeah, because you don't have any like physical evidence. Yeah, so maybe they solved it. Maybe he was a CIA agent. Maybe he assassinated JFK. We don't know. So in 1972, 1815 Driscoll Street was bulldozed, and it sat as an empty lot until it was finally developed in 2000. And today that address is a brick townhouse, which is most likely haunted. Yeah, probably. Highly likely that it's but there's also some more band names. Uh, you can either go see you. You can go to this wonderful concert. We can see uh, Driscoll Street was bulldozed uh, with their opening act, Brick Townhouse. <laughs> I hate that that works. It does. <laughs> so um, I know we uh, we that is the end of our story for this week. But I did want to also. I saw a story, uh, a current happening uh, true crime story come up about um, in Oklahoma, there 
have been there were two teenage girls that were missing and when they found the offender uh they discovered seven bodies at the home so they're working their way through that investigation but uh they are no longer searching for the suspect or the girls which i thought was pretty scary oh no yeah yeah uh, apparently he was a sex offender who missed his scheduled court date. And when police went out to his home to find him for his scheduled court date, uh, they, you know, they, I, I don't know what exactly happened. Like I said, it's, it, I saw this article just came out today, but they have, identified that they found um, 14-year-old Ivy Webster, 16-year-old Brittany Brewer. They also have added that the offender's longtime girlfriend and her three children were also found. So... Oh, no. It, yeah, it's pretty gruesome and horrifying. And... Yeah... Again, it just they just discovered everything, so it's gonna be a long time until he's, you know, in court, prosecuted, etc. But yeah. just keeping you up to date with the crimes out there, guys. Stay safe. Yeah, so we know which places have active serial killers and we should probably avoid. Well, uh Texas might have one. Let's not remind me about that. Yeah, that's right, you're going down there mm -hmm. to visit. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, down in Texas, if you are a man around the age of 30, watch your back. People are people are being found in a lake. Thankfully, I'm not around that age. I mean, you're in your 20s, right? There. Somewhere between 5 and 80. Alrighty, that is all I had for this week. Thanks. So thank you to Allie. Yeah, I think Allie did a great job with that, and I... I think that case is just wild for like the the case itself is awful and terrifying, but the theories off of it are insane. Yeah, that was definitely a very interesting one. And I was not expecting go to, to go down rabbit holes with that one. That just took a complete left turn. Yeah, it did. It did. But, all right, cool. Well, hopefully we will see you guys or talk to you. Talk to you guys next week. Hopefully you will all hear from us next week. Yes. Words. Yes. Okay. Bye. Yeah, bye. As always, make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at thesquonkandthehag.com. And we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Krakow, you ready? Okay, bye.